All right. This is Jack. What? It's Jack. And Tika, and we are here for another recap of Lovecraft Country. And this episode, you said you didn't want to say it, right? It's the J word. Yes, it's Jigger Bobo. Um, and um, as Jack is a white man, he does not feel comfortable saying that, which I understand, and I respect that. I, I, I'm actually, I like it when people are like, I'm uncomfortable, I don't want to say something. That's right, don't say it, it's not your place. On some level, it's the fact that I make mistakes sometimes while speaking, and I don't want to be that guy that makes a mistake and suddenly he's the national uh, sacrifice of the day. But one thing we should point about this is it's a combination of a slur and a reference to Bobo, uh, who was, the, the, Bobo is, of course, the nickname of Emmett Till. And the scary thing is, is we caught a glimpse of him in, I think, the third episode, briefly. And some people were like, was that Emmett? Was that Emmett? Apparently it was. Well, I, I, I have to say that um, in regards to Emmett Till and how he is handled in Lovecraft Country, I'm a bit disturbed. Um, I kind of did not like the the Jigga Bobo um, title. Even from the title, I felt in some ways, and it's weird because I really, really like Lovecraft, and I really want to support what they are doing, and I really want to, yeah, I just really want to support what they're doing. Um, but there's a part of me that is a bit disturbed at how I feel they're a bit disrespectful in how they handle Emmett Till. Um, even the term Jigabobo, they called him Bobo, and that's part of a, a racial slur, um, and he was, you know, brutally murdered, and it wasn't that long ago, and I'm sure he has people that are still alive. So I'm, he's got family that's still alive, and I, I don't know how I would feel about the casualness of how they handle it. I like to call it, it's very new Negro, how they're doing it. And it's, I know you're like, oh, what does that mean? I mean, it's, it's just kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm so clever, I don't have to be respectful of the history of blackness. I don't know. What do you think? Hmm. I I felt a little worried and the reason is is this is a real person and I understand they're really trying to bring the impact of this and the opening scenes where they are waiting in line to see Emmett Till to pay their final respects is a powerful moment you, you, this is not fake this was real just as Tulsa that they're referring to is real. And here is, I think, one of the big issues. What do you do with historical fantasy or historical fiction when you are introducing characters that, that died horribly? And um, it, it, it's not that it rings false in my view, but... It's 
you wonder how casual they are being with this. And so, you know, this is, this is still a raw issue. I think the woman that accused him is still alive, or at least was until a couple of years ago. Those men that brutally murdered him lived until the 90s. So the family's alive. People that knew him are alive. This is still a raw issue, an issue of justice. And the only justice that was really brought against these people was is that economically they were pushed down a bit. So they, they were working class whites before and they were lower working class whites. Yes. Um, this is, you know, the thing is that it's kind of like this idea that you know, I'm standing up against, when I use the term new Negro, I want to kind of like go more into that, um, you know, from the Harlem, Harlem Renaissance and this kind of idea that I'm standing up to like um, the, the kind of older um, generation of um, people who experienced Jim Crow. But the thing that the, the irony is, is that I feel that the new Negro was actually part of Reconstruction. And while they thought they were the beginning of something, they actually were the end of something, um, which is a tragic irony. Um, and it's very bizarre because I'm watching how this show is written by people and I'm feeling like we're at the end of a kind of a wonderful period of black America where from the civil rights movement until now, and now we're going to this period of fascism. So I think it's that's it's almost fitting. It's like this weird thing where people who are new and trendy and actually they think they're the, the beginning of something and it ends up being that they're the end of hard work from other people. From and era from a different era in which we we like to think, oh, we're going to move forward. And ah, boy, you you wonder how much we move forward. You, there, you have the right to vote the right to travel, but those are our tenuous freedoms as we are learning. We'd like to think, oh, hey, no one's going to uh, impinge on your ability to vote. Well, tell that to the folks in Detroit in 2016. Greg Pallas uncovered that in the city of Detroit, 75,000 votes were thrown out. The margin of Trump's victory in Michigan was 10,200. You have to look at that and say, hmm, what happens differently? When you look at the number of votes that were thrown out in Wisconsin, when you look at the number of votes that were thrown out in Michigan, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, we might not have had to live during this period under Trump. If they had counted those votes, mostly in African-American communities. So you, we have given suffrage to all people, supposedly. But boy, are they acting like it was 1950 all over again. Yes, this this really, to me, feels like the period, like we're, we're entering this, this period um, of oppression. I hope it is not. I hope that we that were able to overcome this. But I think about today, it's October 5th. Um, Texas, you could only register to vote by paper. 
um, Mississippi, you can only register to vote by paper. We have voter ID laws owing to the fact that uh, the um, Voters um, Voting Rights Act in 2013, um, the part that did the um, what do you call it? When you, you kind of the formula to decide if you're a racist. So those are places like Texas, um, 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 Michigan, places that were hey you've been traditionally racist, and the Supreme Court said the people that are racist, the the, the formula is outdated. So of course, as soon that the day after that ruling in 2013, they started voter ID rules in Texas, 24 hours after the ruling. Um, and to me, it's like, wow, we get this opportunity to really talk about, you know, the, this beautiful period. It's, it was hard and ugly, but I felt the, it was hope, hope, but I felt that the laziness, there was a laziness in how it's easy to use black pain as fodder. It's so easy. White people do it all the time. And for you to be a black person and be that easy about it, to be that casual about it, it, to me, I wrote a piece about um, 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 Breonna Taylor and how this pathologization of of, of horrible things that happen to black people are fundable, it's marketable, and, and like I said, I love this show, but this was infuriating to me. So here's here's the big question. Uh, on some level, you're going to have to trust the people that are writing this. Is this a commercialization of black pain, or is this an attempt to make Emmett Till's uh, funeral back in the public? How far have we advanced? So, you know, on some level, at, at you need to start to ask if you trust the the people that are doing this show. And if you've read the book, you know that this is not part of it. They don't really reference Emmett Till. This is this has been entirely introduced by the producers of this show. So, do you trust them? I, I think that they actually did some things on here that were very, very good. You even had a discussion. Do we bring D to this funeral? Well, it's her friend. You know, they have this discussion. And then they, they later on, you have Ruby's words in which she was talking about, you know, feeling frightened and angry and and grief stricken and sick and tired of of this occurring again and again and again you know do you trust the producers or do you see this as just commercialization i i'm more open to giving them the benefit of the doubt over this because i thought that this was was in many ways powerful. But we should start to move on to the other topics on this because there's other things to talk about as well. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I'm still watching the show, so I still I still trust them. I just want to like kind of like let that out because um, I've been talking to Jack about it and it just bothered me. I want I wanted to put that out there in the universe, but like I said, I'm still watching the show. <laughs> We're still I trust you. You better come correct. You better, you better not betray my trust. <laughs> Do not betray my trust. I'm going to continue on with the show. Um, but we're going to move on to the 
part which part do we move on to the, the part with the little girl the jiggle the, 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 the well, let's not go to that yet so if you know the plot uh d is upset and she leaves the line unexpectedly of course the the parents are all dealing with their own issues there so you have montrose and tick <laughs> having this conversation after the last fight and Montrose says, hey, do you want some water? And Tick says, oh, you know, we haven't resolved this yet. Now, the nice thing is, is that they, it looks like they really do resolve the issues. There's, there's, there's some big issues between Tick and his father, and it looks like they're resolving, they're starting to trust one another. But what happens is, is the, the adults all run off in their own directions, and D runs off in hers. But here's something that happens. Letty goes back home looking for D. And someone's at the door. Now, the someone at the door is Gia, and we, who we last saw back in Korea and also heard over the phone. She's come back to warn Tick. And... You know, you have to remember, this is not today where you just hop on a flight and it's only a couple hundred dollars. This was a major trip. That meant, at the very least, multiple flights and train trips to get to Chicago. This would have been a major sum of money. Where did that money come from? Think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she got out of a war zone to do this. And that that's somewhat impressive. Now, the thing that... I'm concerned about is is that this was just put in as a oh see how serious it is she traveled around the world there's a wonderful test uh, called the Bechtel test and what it is is it's very popular in feminist circles do you have two women character in a film that are friends that talk about something other than the lead male character and that's kind of one of the ways you can determine if they really are characters with their own volition or are they just um, satellites of the the male leads and what happens she comes in and tick comes in to see letty and gia sitting at the table not talking so this is some concern. You've got this amazing character that they've, they've built from scratch. Is this the end of her? Boy, you know, you've got an amazing character. Don't throw this away. And don't treat her as just something for Tick to save Tick. I mean, that is, you know, it's a very good point. I mean, I, I, like I said, we, we're, we're right here. We're trusting the authors. We're trusting the screenwriters, actually, because this is going off the book. Um, and yes, it's true. What, you know, what do you, what, where did, what, what happens with this character? I hope that she comes back in the next episode. Um, for her to just go to Korea from come from Korea to come to the United States, just to be told to go away, just seems a little bit heartless. Um, and a kind of a using, and I don't want her to be used. Um, and now we're going to go to D. And D being in this, this horrible state, um, her father is dead. Her mother 
doesn't come her doesn't come back she still doesn't come back she may never come back look she's across the universe and across time can she get back uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the machine's been destroyed, though. There's some indications that they're going to bring it back. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and she's at this funeral where her best friend has died. She's No one's paying attention to her. She's just kind of like this lone little, you know, little black girl. And, you know... It's, but it's, it's so kind of relatable being like this kind of this black girl that's, you know, a good black girl, like good girl, um, doesn't cause any problems. So no one notices her, um, and doesn't notice her pain. Like, wow, do you guys realize that her parents are both gone? Like, anybody can do anything about that? Yeah, this is, this is something that if they're, if the writers intended this, boy, do they, they do it well. D is abandoned, and in many ways, all the adults are gone. Montrose is dealing with water. Tick is fighting with his dad. Ruby wants to to go and and deal with her um, her pain. Letty is is running around in circles, and what happens? No one's watching D. Whose friend is Bobo's? It's D. It's not any of these adults. They should be looking after D. They should be holding on to her. And instead, she she slips and gets away and runs into trouble, bad trouble, because there's people looking for her. If you saw the last episode, you know that, unfortunately, that comic book that's getting everyone in trouble got left at the last place, and they've traced it to her. And they cast a spell. Now, if you read the book, you know that this is a spell that basically has a spirit track you down, inducing fear until it catches you. Well, we had a very ambiguous ending, and the previews suggest that they caught her. But we'll get to that soon. Yes. And so she is caught by these magic cops. And... They put a curse on her, and they put a spell on her. A spell, not, yeah. Not in a good Nina Simone type of way. They put a spell on her. Yeah, you're. You don't like that pun. I can just see it on your. Face. Yeah, I'm like rolling my eyes. So yeah, but they put you know they they put a they put a curse on her, and it almost you know the thing is I'm re- reminded of Maya Angelou, and how she you know she was you know she was raped. And didn't talk. And I wonder if... Because the thing is that when you watch that scene, when the cops get her, and they kind of have her on the ground, it almost feels like it's a sexual assault, but it's it's not. It's not. Because I would have just turned it off at that point. I would have been like, I'm done here. Um, but it was not. But to me, that happening to her in an alley, then them putting that spit on her and a spell on her, and then she not being able to talk, it was very reminiscent of um, Maya Angelou's story um, and of, of trauma, cage bird, you know, um, I know other cage bird sings. It was very, it, that's what it gave me. That's what it made me think about um, when I saw that scene, especially when she couldn't, 
she couldn't talk. She couldn't vocalize what you need. Now, that was something that was f interesting in the book. And if you read the book, you know that the, the young boy whose name has just dropped out of my head, the way he solves it is by playing Scrabble and putting down the letters. He can't say it because the curse prevents him, but he puts down letters. Now, what does D do? The way she deals with it is she does her drawings. But I'd like to make a... a a, another point. Atticus knows about magic. Letty knows about magic. Montrose knows about magic. Ruby knows about magic. She's being chased. There's, there's a lot of bad magic in the air. And she gets to Letty's house. All she has to do is walk through the door. If Letty had just been focused on her, on Dee, as opposed to her own feelings of of well unhappiness about the relationship finding out that that tick had been in a relationship with gia well you know all she would have had to say is go inside in fact she did in some point go inside and wash up but of course d, uh, d is is frightened and she uses the bicycle to get away all she had to do is walk through the door as we see later on in the show and i think the thing is that I don't know if they're trying to show that Letty wasn't paying attention or because of the curse. Like, even if she had been paying attention, she may not have been paying attention because I think part of the curse is for people to not hear her, not see her. And that, that was part of it. Part of the curse, it wasn't just that she couldn't talk, but part of the curse is that people can't hear you. So it's, it's a kind of a, a double-sided curse. Um, understand you, yeah. Yeah, um, the, yeah. People can't understand you, um, and then the the kind of a horrible thing happens. These these two um, pickaninnies um, come after her. Um, the one thing I found interesting is that pickaninnies were typically um, dark skinned. Um, they were presented as, as dark skinned black people. And this Piccaninny, there was two of them. Um, I think it's like a topsy-turvy doll. One was dark and one was light. And I thought it was interesting. I, I thought it was an interesting... It, it could have just been like, oh, that's who, that's who got the casting role. But I thought it was very interesting because... They chose these two young girls to play them. And boy, um, for those of you out there in, in TV land that love horror, this is more frightening, I think, than Chucky. So for those of you out there that that are afraid of, of haunted dolls, well, Annabelle, I think, is the current one, um, Chucky, uh, the, the China doll ghost story, this one is going to haunt your dreams. And the, the way they moved, it was, it was like the marionette um, that was being jerked around. And on some sense, that's, that's what's going on with her. She's being jerked around now by, the, by these spirits that only she can see. Yeah, only she can see. But the thing is that it's like it's making her look like she has something wrong with her to everyone else. Um, and it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, almost this idea of a of, of black girlness, like this, this kind of um, horror that's always kind of chasing you, this stereotype that's chasing you. 
um, and no one understands what you're talking about, but yet they do understand what you're talking about because, yeah, they just, they they just, they just don't care. Um, and I think that that was, you know, the challenging thing about this is that it was real. It was so many things going on. Like I really felt like that her that whole episode that the whole thing with the cop i felt like it was like a, a um um um, um, um a, a representation of a sexual assault um and i really feel that that's what this whole this this episode was kind of about um and i and i think that's one of the that's another challenge i i'm i'm hoping i understand that it is challenging you know as a person who's been black their entire life i was raised in a black neighborhood um you know um when i was in los angeles i even like lived in a i lived in i i I had a house as an adult in a black neighborhood i had a black newspaper so i'm i understand the black experience and i am a little bit uh, I'm, i'm a little bit disturbed when i feel that people who are in the arts view the black experience as all horror i'm not talking about you should have black joy all the time that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about the fact that we are not our culture is not a pathologized culture there's not all this trauma there's trauma but it's racism it's from the outside it's not it's not a constant, constant thing all the time. Of course, what kind of TV show would it be if it wasn't that? But the thing is that... We've only got a couple of episodes to carry this out in. And here's where something that I, I'm now looking at the series and thinking, maybe they should have thought two seasons. This this series is good. And I, I don't want to say they've shortened these episodes, but based on what they've done with the parent material, the additions that they've made. I'm looking at going saying, hey, you could have spent more time and it wouldn't have been indulgent. There would have been some amazing things that we could include. Um, But moving on, I'd like to say that kind of talking about this, one of the big issues that is going on is the fact that the white community seems unable to understand what exactly is going through the black community. It's not just that they're being horrible. They just don't seem to be able to understand or care. And you see that in the casualness of the the police referring to the little girl after she confronts them as, well, she's dead anyways. Who cares? But also in the conversation between Christine and Ruby. Now, when Ruby speaks to Christine and tells her of her her emotional distress, Christine very coolly says she doesn't care. And then there's a scene that comes later that I I still don't understand what's going on because some of the we, we listen to a yeah, I know I'm not supposed to say it. We listened to a cast with one of the writers and they said that this was um, Christine trying to understand what it would be like to be killed like Emmett Till was. So there's a scene where she hires people to murder her. And uh, she survives, of course, because she has the mark of Cain and can't be killed. But they they beat her, they, they shoot her, they 
tie barbed wire around her neck and, and throw her into a swamp. And she comes up kind of laughing. What is that laughter? Is that, that the, the, the laughter of insanity that you realize how horrible the situation is? Is it the laughter of survival? We don't know. And as I said, I'm, I'm still wondering about that scene. Well, for me, when I saw that scene, and like I said, we don't know what's in people's heads, but when I saw that scene, I felt, you know, when you go and you see um, white people um, at protest, and I've been to protests, I've been going to protests from the 90s, um, and not everyone white, it's this way, I have to say, white men, white women don't do this. Um, <laughs> when you go to, when you see white men at protest, and you see them performing um, in, in regards to violence, yet they know that violence is not going to come upon them. They can bring a gun. They can start fights. They can, and they can typically be confident that they're going to walk out with a good war story. It'll be funny. And you've been, in, and I've been in conversations where, you know, I've been in a room with a white man who has, you know, been in activist work. And they're like, oh my God. So I went in the 90s, 1999, you know, Occupy, et cetera, et cetera. I was there and the cops beat me up. I went to jail and blah, blah, blah. Do you know if you're black and you go to jail, your life is over? There's no funny story. You don't get to talk about you being in jail and how it was fun and, and, and how you don't get to do that. That's not, you, you don't get that option if you're black. So it's very upsetting. And I feel that in a way that scene was kind of an homage to that experience that you have as a black person, especially if you're a middle class. And I hate that term middle class because there's no such thing as a middle class black person. And you're a middle income black person who is college educated and you have to sit and listen to these so-called radicals laughing at the fact that it experiences that ruin black people's lives, that kill black people's communities, that kill black people. Um, and the thing is, if it were reverse, if I were, if I had been in jail and you were a middle income, a middle class white person, I wouldn't be in that same room with you. I wouldn't have to listen to you, but I have to listen to you because you're a white man. Um, and so that's kind of how I viewed that Christina. Maybe I was. Maybe for you, that's like I'm going way beyond. But that's what I was feeling when I was seeing that scene. I, you know, we we don't know at this point what's going on, and Christina is a a powerful and self centered person. Never ever forget that she's not doing any of this stuff for good. She's doing it for her own purposes. Now, the thing that that I'm concerned about is is that the characters that we're going to love are going to treat her as an adversary and do everything they can to bring her down whereas this is you know when the giants are fighting get out of the way in the previews and and in this they say you learn that she's going to try and become immortal who cares you're going to try and stop that because what? Get out of the way. 
and let the giants fight. Yeah, uh, the, the small people get stepped on, but that's why, as I said, get out of the way. That is true. I mean, that is... That's something that I have done, like as a as a leftist, <laughs> um, and a lot of the left that I'm I'm involved in. I'm in the United States, so a lot of spaces that I'm in are going to be white. Um, if I if I'm not in a segregated, because the black community is still very segregated, and once you go out of a segregated community, especially if you go into academia, you go into the political sphere, you go into art, is going to be filled with. It's going to be predominantly white. And it's going to be at least the power is going to be amongst the white people. Um, they get to decide who they get to decide who lives and dies, who gets to speak, who doesn't get to speak, who gets to be popular, who doesn't get to be popular, who's amplified and who is silenced. And you know, there are these fights between certain leftist factions, and I've learned, you know, in a way, just let them fight. Do what I need to do in order to keep my people safe and let, I, I have no political purity. To me, political purity is white supremacy. Um, and I, I, I have no desire to be part of that. I take whatever I need to take in order to, in order to keep my people safe. So, I mean, that's kind of going off topic here. <laughs> it isn't. You know, this is kind of one of the big issues. As Christina points out, Tick is her cousin, and his relationship to her doesn't it doesn't buy him enough entitlement. So they do a trade. He trades a key for a spell. Later on, Letty trades the pages for a, a mark, the mark of Cain. There's there's trading involved. They're not between equals, but Sadly, most trades aren't, despite what your libertarian friends will talk about. So, a trade was made. It's an unequal trade, but it was a trade of necessity. Now, uh, one other thing we should probably move on to is, is talking about the trust that's building now against, uh, once again, between Tick and his father Montrose. We should revisit that because going back to our discussion about where were the adults during this whole thing, it turns out that Montrose is finally becoming the dad that he should have been long before. Yes, I'm I'm really beginning to like Montrose. I mean the thing is this. I was I'm still mad about the fact that he killed uh, Yahima, um, owing to the fact that he had his own um, hang-ups. That's not a good reason to kill someone, you know. Good, yeah, I mean... It's, yeah, it's still not acceptable. But if you're looking at this, Tick, our hero, has been pulling teeth out of people and, and blew out a nurse's brains. Yeah, see, so after that, um, it's hard for me to kind of be like, wow, you really are self-righteous. You went to Korea and took people's teeth out of their mouth. So after that, after, after knowing that... Um, my yes yes Montrose kind of you know was not nice to Tick and he did spank him and things like that but um I don't know if that happened I don't know if he was that extreme he he was having some personal issues but I mean we all have our problems that's the whole thing as an adult we all have our problems we all do certain things and I think Montrose is really beginning to like come into his own he actually did a spell that worked <laughs> 
Um, he did magic that actually worked, and he wasn't. He was kind of like, oh man, I don't know if this is going to work. And he's like, oh, like he's like, but I, I have intention behind. I got intention. He's like, I'm, he said, I'm dyslexic. I don't, I don't, I really. That was the that was the fun part. He's he's reading the things, and as we learn in this. This magic is really dangerous. If you mess up the intonation of a word or or mispronounce it or get a syllable wrong or timing, you're in serious trouble. Serious, serious trouble. Read the book. Um, and it turns out he's dyslexic. So he's the one casting the spell of protection. It's kind of fun to watch and see how makeshift it is. They're just, they've got boxed candles on the floor you know this is this is very working class you know they, they don't have the the nice bee wax ones all over the place so they're operating on a on a budget but it worked and as i said uh mantra seems to be growing into the role of a father and talking about that so he and tick have the talk about faithfulness and you you realize that yes in some sense it was a marriage of convenience even though he was gay, he wanted a family, and he said that he was faithful to uh, Tick's mom. Uh, you know, and then later on, you kind of going back to it, the person that was protecting D in two situations was Monstros. So Monstros is becoming the adult in the series. I just boy, why did they have to? You know why they have to have him kill Yahima? That that's that's another one of these almost Bechtel failings. You have this amazing character you introduce, and then you kill them. You know they're just window dressings for a character development. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I I mean yeah again um, to use the indigenous character and Native American character as a symbol um, was a problem. Um, for both of us, um, also a, a intersex um, two-spirit character, and to kind of use him in that way. I mean, again, another character. Like I said, we have we have we're trusting the writers here. We have to understand that it is a fictional. This is a fictional show, and this is a perspective of the people who are writing the show. And so, for me to get so like, well, I would have done it this way. Well, then I guess that you know that's why I'm not a screenwriter, right? I mean, I'm not writing the show. If everybody's book was the same, then then we, books would be very boring. If everybody's screenplay was the same, the stories would get very boring. So while I it's actually invoking an emotion in me, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If I'm angry at you, then you're doing a great job because I actually am having feelings. And that's that's something. And I don't know, I'm learning how to process them because this is like the first, you know, I don't really watch, as you know, I am a big reader of books. I'm a writer. I do not do TV shows. So this has been um, maybe in the last five years, maybe the third show that I've watched, and I'm continuing to watch it, and I'm very happy with, even though I'm upset, I'm, I think some of their, sometimes their pins are a little disrespectful, but <laughs> I I think, you know, we, I'm actually, we're, we're, we're kind of, we should try to wrap this up, but also, it, it was really, we had a monster, oh, they had a shooting in their house. Okay, okay, I'll put it this way. It was kind of reminiscent of, well, someone said in one of the podcasts or shows, it was reminiscent of, of Move. But I'll tell you something, growing up in 
uh, black Los Angeles, it was just reminiscent of being black. And, <laughs> and I mean, it reminded me of the battle ram in Los Angeles where um, the police was militarized um, via SWAT. And they just decided a house was a house that they wanted to, you know, destroy. And they just shot it all up. They're in Chicago. It's, it's the 1950s. In, in a couple of short years, it's going to be the shootout with the Black Panthers, and they're going to kill George Jackson. Actually, within, with that case, they, they drugged him and then shot where he was sleeping. So if, if anyone ever tells you, oh, well, you know, now that was a pure murder. So they're shooting up the house. And you have to realize the two characters that we've been following are two protagonists. Letty now has the mark of Cain. And at a certain point, she realizes that the bullets are bouncing off of her. It's a wonderful scene in many ways. Yeah, they're still shooting, but you're seeing the bullets kind of going off and you're watching that the realization move across her face of, yeah, this is real. And then, of course, the spell has been cast on Tick. And they they were expecting something probably earth-shattering, like you'd see in a video game where you cast a spell and heavenly light comes up from the floor knowing that you have a, a circle of protection around yourself. But in this case, when the police shoot at him, you have that long pause just to heighten the tension, and boom, up comes a shagoff. Only this one is not peach-colored. This one is dark-skinned, and it it tears apart the cops on the scene. Now, here's something I'm wondering. We know that Captain Lancaster, the evil magical cop, started the gunfire, but you see this shagoff devour, destroy, eviscerate, all these officers, did it also get him? Um, if, if he got away, boy, he's, he's got some long legs because this thing was a, a Lovecraftian. It's a powerful creature, and you don't have a lot of resolve other than running. And none of them really thought to do that until the very end, until it's too late. So the protection is now against him. Yes, it was a wonderful scene, but I wanted to go back to the scene where she got the mark of Cain with Christine. Mm-hmm. And I thought the thing was really interesting is that they had Letty in a church and she was praying in this African American style that I thought was really interesting. Um, kind of like praying. And I always I almost wondered in my head, like, that mark of Cain, was that from God or was that from Christine? I mean, clearly it was from Christine, but it, it it made me, because when she did it, it made that mark, like, oops, like, oh, it's Mark. But when he, when he did the, the spell, nothing happened, which made me wonder, yeah, different different kind of spell, of course. But I'm just saying, it, it really felt like, you know, she's like praying. I mean, I don't think she said Father God, but it almost felt like she was like, Father God, help me get through this. And going back to the original story, remember, the, the whole point of this magic is, is it's in this adamatic original language, the language before the Tower of Babel falls and, and humanity is divided into the different languages. The mark of Cain was put onto Cain by God. You know, don't forget that. They're they're basically playing with raw power, whether it's a Judeo Christian 
system or or is this all just complete mythology and they've they're tapping into the power of the universe it it doesn't really matter but back to the story she's praying passionately deeply uh desperately for protection and along comes christine um boy you know talk about the the devil and i'd like to add into this the thing that i like about christine is is that She's not the the Voldemort type monster that's that's absolutely irredeemable and kills people and and just a bad person. No, no, she's she's a smooth individual. She, you can see why people are attracted to her. She's powerful. If she's if if she likes you and if you're useful to her, she'll do a lot of wonderful things. And if you're not, if you get in her way, oh boy watch out so she's this very very powerful individual and that's and and notice i keep saying powerful as opposed to evil because um she's actually done some good things in here of course for a price but she didn't have to do them um so this is this is some of the fun of the character now one other thing we should talk about is is we also got a little bit of explanation of what happened in the last episode when tick went through the gate and that's this wonderful, for those of you who have watched uh, Back to the Future, you know that my I am an extraterrestrial named Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. Unless you date Lorraine, I will fry your brain. Well, something similar to that happens, only it isn't Darth Vader from Vulcan. It's a woman in a cloak with a robotic arm, and she shoves Lovecraft Country into his hands. And you see it briefly during that period but you you know i i didn't catch it and 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 in the last episode i now realized oh my god this is very meta it's a story within the story yes so he picks up the, the book is a book of his son wrote it about his life about called lovecraft country so lovecraft country goes from a fictional account to a sorry yeah it goes from a fictional account to a biography of his father so it's like oh and they changed the name back to the original names that were in the original book and it's really um bizarre um and i mean it's really kind of a cute yeah i hate that's kind of an interesting word to call it cute but it was cute meta like kind of a situation so that was you know one of the final interesting type things about it and i mean i guess we could talk about ruby like you know she's in this i don't know i put it this way i understand what they're trying to do with ruby but unpleasant situation it's uncomfortable but I, i wanted to ask one one last thing here's something that's interesting in the book uh, Atticus quickly tells Montrose and tells Montrose to read it. Oh, they changed some of the details, like George lives and and that D is a boy. Here's something that's kind of funny. What if their actions in this series changed the f- changed the past and changed the future? And here's something that that might be very interesting. We know that in the coming episode, we see scenes of Tulsa, and it appears that they're going to use that time machine as a way to go back to there. And I'm pretty sure Tech was smart enough to make a copy of the key. (coughs) What if they go back 
and they change at Tulsa. And this results in D becoming a little boy. What if they, uh, when they go back to Tulsa and they get these things, George comes back to life. So there might be some interesting playing with time in this system. At right now, the book is at odds with the current present. And the question is, is if you play with the future, what's going to happen to the present? Yes, and the thing is that you have two, you know, I, I, I think it's very interesting. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited, but we got two episodes left. So I don't really know how they're going to wrap this up. It's clearly to me, you're going to need a second, a second season or people are going to be, people are going to be very, people are going to be very angry like myself. Yeah. Um, I, I think they can wrap it up, but the sad thing is, is they've created an entire country. It's, it's a, I don't want to say appealing narrative. It's a compelling narrative. That's what it is. It's a very compelling narrative. No one likes to see people hurt, but drama is is often based on on just that thing, hurt and justice and resolution. Are they going to end it? If they end it, they're going to have an amazing series. And maybe they don't want it to be like uh, another uh, series that, that goes on for too long and suddenly you're going, oh, is The Simpsons still on? Really? How's the latest Treehouse of Horror? Now, we don't want that to occur to Lovecraft Country. So, I'll pass this back to Tika. Yeah, I think that's the thing that's just interesting. I mean, it's like, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be like, you know, the British-style TV show. And maybe the thing is that because life doesn't end, maybe this won't end. Maybe it'll just be a cliffhanger and you just have to make it up on your own. And just, they just say nothing will be wrapped up. They'll just move on to the next, the next thing. Um, but like I said, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see what happens. Um, I trust, as I said, I trust Misha Green. I trust that, you know, this all has a purpose and I'm invested and I'm going to be into this until the end. And, you know, I think this is a wonderful opportunity, um, for, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity for black actors and actresses and writers and, um, set designers and, and things like that. So, you know, I, I, you know, regardless of my comments in the beginning, I'm not a hater. I just, you know, as a person, you're critical. I'm a critical, I'm just critical and I care about the community. And I'm like, you know, as I said, I, 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 I am a, I don't really do popular culture. So I, I have to get used to this and I have to just understand like it's not going to be the way I want it to be all the time. And, um, and it, sometimes the, the source material is your brain. So I can't, I can't Wikipedia your brain. I can't do research on your brain. I'm just going to have to go with the writer, what Miss Green goes with. So with that, I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, is there anything else you need to say? Not presently, but enjoy the series. Thank you for listening to Public Intellectuals Radio Podcast. Good night, sleep tight, and don't let the chagas bite.